Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. We are in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke this morning, uh, and uh, the background for what we're going to learn from Luke chapter 22 today uh, all started here in Exodus chapter 12, and so I'll begin reading in verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him Next unto his house, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out of the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it. In the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it, eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it with haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses whereof ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread, even The first day ye shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. God created us as creatures of celebration and happy family meals. Some of the greatest experiences in life revolve around celebrations, and happy family meals. We like to celebrate. We like to 
to get together with friends and family and enjoy a meal together and talk about something that is exciting to us and is meaningful and important to us. And this morning, I want us to learn that there's value in reliving history. That's true in every area of life. It's true in our families. It's true in our country. That's true especially in our relationship with our God. There is great value in reliving history. And that's why God made us to enjoy celebrations and get-togethers and family meals and feasts. And, and uh, that just uh, those are times of great value and benefit in our lives. But I want to ask you a question. How well is your present rooted in the past? How well do you know history? How focused are you in teaching history to your children so that their present can be connected to their past? God made us, He created us, and then He taught us that such is very valuable in our lives. We've been studying the last week of Jesus Christ's life on earth from the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 22 now. And chapter 22 opens up by saying, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And Jesus Christ, in His last week on earth, on Wednesday, Passover was drawing nigh. It was going to be the next day. And so focus in Jesus Christ's ministry began to focus on Passover, what it means, what it meant to Israel for generations, and what it meant to them that week as they were going to relive Passover the next day. And something strategic happened That Wednesday, we have already looked at it. And by the way, when the Bible says that Passover drew nigh, understand that Passover was Israel's New Year's Day and July 4th wrapped up into one day. Really one week. They combined it with the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Feast of Pentecost. They kind of lumped them together and and made it a weekly, a whole week affair, seven days, as we just read in Exodus. To the Jewish people, this was their New Year's Day. God had told them in the original Passover, this is the first month of the year to you. And God drew a line in the sand and said, for Israel, this is the beginning of a new year every year. This is your January. This is the first month of the year. And in this first month of the year, something special is going to happen. And every year from now on... Every first month of the year, in it was called Abib, and it was also called Nisan. And on that first month of the year, they were going to have Passover. It was their New Year's Day celebration. But it was more than that. It was their Fourth of July. Because it was the day that Israel became a nation. It was the, the, the event that launched them from a family or a collection of families into a nation 
operating under a law of God as a people group. And so it was their 4th of July. They had been in slavery for generations. But God is going to free them from slavery. And they're going to become a free nation. Passover was Israel's New Year's Day and 4th of July all wrapped into one. It was a very special event. It was an event that there, from there on, it would be their key time every year to teach their children the value of their history. And Passover was all about teaching their children the value of their history. Well, we know that day something strategic happened. Judas met with the Sanhedrin and asked, how much is he worth to you? And he struck a deal with the Sanhedrin that for 30 pieces of silver that he would look for an opportunity where Jesus was alone and there wasn't a crowd of people around and Judas would tip them off where they could arrest him in private. And so Judas began to look for an opportunity to turn Jesus over to the Sanhedrin for his murder. That was Wednesday night. Thursday, Jesus Christ instructed Peter and John to go prepare for the observance of Passover. Look with me if you're in Luke chapter 22. Look at verse number 7. Verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare us the Passover that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where? Where wilt thou that we go prepare? And he said unto them, Behold. When ye enter into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and ye shall say unto the good men of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room furnished there. Make ready. And they went, they found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. It was Thursday morning. Jesus said to Peter and John, two men. Of the apostles. He said, I want you to go and prepare. There was a lot of preparation for a Passover observance. Uh, They had to secure a lamb. It had to be slain. Uh, They had to take the the, the slain lamb and they had to roast it with fire. They had to uh, acquire or bake some unleavened bread. They had to secure some bitter herbs. And they had to get all of this stuff together. They had to prepare everything, set up everything, and have it ready for Jesus and the other ten apostles to come and observe the Passover meal that evening, on Thursday evening. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to prepare? This is a lot of work. It's going to take us a good part of the day. Where do we prepare this? Jesus said, I'm not going to tell you exactly where. He didn't give a name. He didn't give a street. He didn't give anything that would tip off anybody else as to the location that they were going to be on Thursday night. Instead, he said to Peter and John, go into the city and you'll see a man with a pitcher of water carrying it. Now, that was unusual. In that culture, men didn't typically carry the water. So that would, that would stand out to Peter and John. Go into the city and, and you'll find this guy carrying some water, following. Wherever he goes, you go, following. And when he goes to a house, you go into the house that he goes into. And then tell the owner of the house, the master needs a place for the Passover. Where is your guest chamber? 
Where is your, uh, uh, the, the place where guests stay at your house? And, and the, the master of the house, the goodman of the house will say to you, uh, you can go upstairs. There's an upper room on the second floor. There's furnishings there and, and you can make ready there. And so Jesus told Peter and John enough information that they could find it without knowing where they were going. Remember, Judas is looking for the opportunity to tip off the Sanhedrin where Jesus will be when there isn't a crowd around. Peter and John didn't even know where they were going to be. Go follow the guy with a newspaper tucked under his left arm and clandestine, you know, spy kind of stuff, you know, secretive. And they went and they followed this guy. The other apostles don't know where they're going to go. Peter and John, is, they're going to be there all the, right up until the time for the Passover. So they're not going to be around the other apostles. So that evening, Jesus and the ten apostles left Bethany and went to Jerusalem. Jesus, of course, knew exactly where they were going to go. Judas had no opportunity to tip off the Sanhedrin where they would find Jesus alone that evening. And there, they, the, uh, Peter and John had prepared... And Jesus Christ said, look with me in verse number 14, Luke 22:14. When the hour was come, he sat down with the twelve apostles with him. I want you to catch this next verse. And he said unto them, with desire, have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus said to them, I have an intense desire I desire with desire. The repetition of the word was the way that they, they put an exclamation point to what they were saying. I desire with desire. I have an intense desire to spend the evening with you. This last Passover before I suffer. The last time that we will observe the Passover together before I'm crucified on Friday. I want to spend this last evening with you, this intense desire to eat the Passover with his disciples. And he said to them in verse number 16, For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ said, The next time we have a Passover meal together, I will have come back the second time and established my kingdom on earth and we'll be back here in Jerusalem and I will be the ruler of the world and we'll have Passover again. But this is the last time until we observe it in my established kingdom. Jesus is focused on Passover and what it means, what it accomplishes, And the value that it has. And Jesus Christ spent hours, hours with his twelve observing Passover. Hey, just as an aside, for you Bible students, if if you're a student of the Word of God, you may have run across the fact that there seems to be a contradiction with regards to Passover in Jesus last week. You see, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus Christ has very clearly stated that Jesus is observing the Passover meal on Thursday night with His apostles. They slay the lamb. The lamb is slain on the afternoon. 
And in the evening, they observed the Passover feast. Now, God made it very clear. That is always done on the 14th day of the first month of the year. They, they didn't have the arbitrary choice of changing that. That's the day it always occurred. And so Jesus is observing Passover on the evening before he was crucified the next day. And yet in the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is crucified the next day on Passover when the lambs are being slain. Well, how is it that the lamb was slain on Thursday afternoon for the Thursday evening Passover feast, and Passover hadn't even started yet, the lambs won't be slain till tomorrow afternoon for the observance of Passover feast. And those more casual readers of the Bible say, Aha! The Bible has an error. The Bible has a contradiction. And I'm not going to tell you what the answer is, because I don't have time to do that this morning in this message, but uh, it's amazing, the accuracy and the detail of the Word of God and how God planned out every minutest detail of this last week of Jesus' life. I'll just leave that for you, and you can figure that out or study that on your own. So, how well do we know history? This, this uh, a Passover with the apostles, Jesus and the apostles, we don't have a lot of details about what they did because every one of them had celebrated this Passover meal every year for their entire lives. They knew every detail of the Passover. No need for explanation. But for you and I, we don't know a lot about the details of Passover. And there's a lot that we would, we would perhaps take for granted because we really don't understand what happened on a Passover event. This morning, we're going to learn a little bit more about what they did that night and what Jewish people had done every year for hundreds and hundreds of years up to that time and what Jewish families still do now 2,000 years after that time every year on the first month of their year, which hits our calendar usually in April. And so I want us to consider three subjects this morning. And the second half of the message will be next Sunday morning as we look and see what Jesus did to that Passover that made it not only an observance of Passover, it made it the last Passover until he comes back the second time. The reenactments that Jewish people participate in every year are, are fake Passovers. They are meaningful to them for their tradition and heritage sake. But next Sunday we'll learn what Jesus Christ did to that Passover that special night. But we need to lay some foundation for that next Sunday morning's message. And that's what we're doing this morning. Three subjects about history. First, I want you to understand the original Passover. We read it a few moments ago in Exodus chapter 12. The original Passover. Slave, Israel had been slaves in Egypt for generations. They had been praying for generations for God to 
see their bitter lives that they lived, to see their tears, to see the agony, the suffering. For 400 years, Israel had lived in Egypt and the vast majority of that time as slaves to the Egyptian people. They begged God and begged God for freedom. They begged God for deliverance. Finally, God sent a man. His name was Moses. God said, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses went. Moses stood before the great Pharaoh of Egypt. Perhaps the most important man on the earth at that time. That wielded the greatest power and authority on earth. And Moses said, my God told you to let my people go. Well, Pharaoh refused to let Israel go. They were his, they were his economic foundation. They were the ones whose slavery, whose slave labor produced the things that he needed in his culture and society. So he refused to let God's people go. And so God began to attack the religious system of Egypt. One by one, God attacked God after God after God. Ten gods that Egypt worshipped. And one by one, God sent a plague to attack that God and show Egypt that that God was powerless. That I am Jehovah God. I am God. One by one, God showed Pharaoh that his gods were worthless and powerless in the face of the only true and living God, Jehovah God. One by one, the plagues came and plague by plague, Pharaoh, after the plague, refused to let God's people go. He said, I won't let them go. Finally, it came to the tenth plague. The tenth plague would be the worst of all the plagues. The tenth plague would touch the firstborn of every family and even of the animal kingdom in Egypt. God would slay the firstborn the most important family member in the worship of the Egyptian people. God would touch the firstborn. So God told Moses, said, Moses, I want you to let my people know what I'm going to do on this particular night. And here's what I want you to tell my people to do. I want you to tell them that on the tenth day of the month, that they are to select a lamb. A lamb for each family, or if it's a small family, a couple of families together, you're going to eat the lamb, so make sure you, you, um, you have a lamb for, you know, a certain size group of people, and, and pick that lamb out. And he identified it's got to be a a lamb without any blemishes. It's got to be a spotless lamb. I want you to keep the lamb for four days. I want you to examine the lamb. I, I want you to be assured that the lamb is a perfect lamb without spot or blemish on the 14th day. I want you to slay the lamb. I want you to pour its blood out into a basin. And I want you to take a branch from a hyssop plant. I want you to dip the the branch of the hyssop into the bowl of blood. And I want you to paint it around the entrance to your house there in Egypt. Every family, apply the blood to your home. The blood must... The lamb must not only be slain. The blood must not only be poured out, but the blood must be applied 
And so dip the branch, apply it to your house, and then get your family gathered together for the evening and eat the Passover meal. I want you to prepare the lamb that was slain. I want you to cook it, but I don't want you to cook it in water. I want you to roast it over a fire. It must be roasted over a fire. I want you to take some unleavened bread and I want you to take some bitter herbs. And that night, gather your family together. Have your staff in your hand. Have your shoes on your feet. Be ready at a moment's notice to up and flee out of Egypt. And that night, I want you to to spend the evening together as a family. And that night, I'm going to send my death angel through the land of Egypt. And any household throughout the land of Egypt where there is not blood applied to that household, the firstborn will die. The back of Pharaoh was finally broken when his own firstborn son died that night. Pharaoh finally let God's people go. He relented and he released them from slavery. And they left Egypt as free people. They passed through the Red Sea. They met God on Mount Sinai to receive His law. And then they traveled to the Promised Land for 40 years. It all began on Passover. It was their day of liberation. It was their day of freedom from slavery. And that freedom from slavery was purchased at the cost of a lamb. And its blood being shed and applied to their home. Well, that's the historic Passover that occurred way back in Israel's history. I want you to consider a second subject. The annual Passover required. If, you're, if you have kept something stuck in Exodus chapter 12, let me point out to you verse number 14 and a couple other verses. Verse number 14 when the original Passover event was about to occur. Verse 14, Exodus 12, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse number 42 of the same chapter. And uh, it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. And then verse number, uh, chapter 13, verse number 3, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage by the strength of the hand of the Lord, brought you out from this place. There shall no leaven bread be eaten. God told Israel at the very beginning of this Passover event that it was going to become an annual celebration. Every year on the first day, uh, first month of the year, on the tenth day of the month, you'll select a lamb. You'll slay it on the fourteenth day of the month. On the fourteenth day of the month, you'll slay the lamb, prepare a feast, get your family together, and teach your family history. 
pass on to your family history. Because their present must always be connected to their past. They must always learn their history. And so the families of Israel would observe this special event, this New Year's celebration, this celebration of redemption by the shedding of blood, of freedom from slavery. And this became the key opportunity to teach their family history. I want to emphasize that because throughout the Bible, God continually set up things, did things that would remind people, instructed people to remember this and remember that. And He would often give them something that would cause them to retell and remember their history. You know, it's important for us to not let our children forget history. It's important for us to make sure every generation knows history. Because if you don't know history, you are bound to repeat the mistakes of history. God wanted His people to remember their history as a nation. And so He required them to perform a celebration, a family celebration, a feast that would take hours of preparation and execution in which dad and mom would teach the Bible to their kids and relive the experience of Passover to meaningfully teach their children and preserve their heritage as a people. Heritage needs to be preserved. Let's move to the final subject this morning. Annual Passover traditions. You know, the original Passover had, had, some, had some lamb, had some unleavened bread, and had some bitter herbs. The original Passover was very simple. That was their meal. And they would spend the evening eating their fill of lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Over the years, Jewish people throughout the Old Testament, long before Jesus Christ was on earth, during the Old Testament and even beyond up through history to today, the Jewish people have added to the simple Passover meal other things that would help them emphasize a particular part of their heritage. They call their Passover feast a Seder, S-A-D-E-R. It's on your little worksheet there. Uh, and the word Seder means order, and it was simply an outline. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like when Pastor Ryan uh, prepares the order of service for Sunday morning and the order of service for Sunday evening. That's what the word Seder means. It means order. It was the order of their Passover observance that they would enjoy as a family. And so that night, the Seder would provide for them an outline that they would follow as they observed Passover. That Seder was... Uh, a home, uh, let me read from a, a, a text of Passover 
history and traditions, the author said, the Passover Seder is a home ritual blending religious rituals, food, song, and storytelling. It is fundamentally a religious service around a dinner table where the order in which the participants eat, pray, drink, and sing and tell the story is prescribed by a central book called the Haggadah. You see that also in your little worksheet. The Haggadah was a, is a book that they use. The, the Seder is printed in the Haggadah. And the Haggadah uh, would provide for them the information that it, the, the blessings, the words of the songs they would sing, and, and the, the information from Exodus that the leader of the Seder would use as he took his family through the observance of Passover. Now, they added some other things uh, as time went on. One of the things they added was some more bitter herbs. Bitter herbs were salad. Kind of, is lettuce a vegetable? Salad stuff. All bitter herbs were, was it was a salad. And, and, and the ingredients, the particular uh, plants that were put into the, the uh, salad, they were very bitter. Very bitter. And, uh, and they were bitter herbs. And in time, the Jewish people added, added another bitter herb. They added parsley. And the parsley was added with a cup of salt water. They, they added that to their Seder. They, they also added, and it seems that most use today, horseradish, just to make sure it's bitter enough. They sometimes use romaine lettuce and horseradish. The horseradish to make sure that the herbs are bitter. And so they would take their, their bitter herb and they would dip it in the horseradish and eat it. And cause a very bitter experience. They also added uh, a paste that was made of crushing apples and raisins and nuts. Maybe a little cinnamon. Say it's the consistency of applesauce. They uh, cherish it, I believe it's, it's called. And, and they would add that. It, it was the sweetest thing on the table. And they would add that to their Passover. These things, these traditions that were added to in order to teach particular things about their heritage. Some of them were probably present there with Jesus and the apostles. I wasn't able to trace down where each tradition came in, but some of them go back to long before Jesus Christ was born. And then they would also add the fruit of the vine, the Bible calls it. And the fruit of the vine would be added for their Passover observance. This would be the, the items that would typically be in a Passover Seder. And the Passover Seder itself would 
would involve basically three things. It would involve teaching, eating, and singing. The family for hours in the evening, teaching the Bible so that their heritage would be passed on to their children, eating elements that would remind them and give them a hands-on, touch-feel, taste, experience that would seal the principles of the Word of God into their minds, and then singing the Psalms, the Hillel Psalms are often used, Psalm 113 to 118. And so, the Seder would begin. Our family is all together. We're around the dinner table here tonight. And the first thing that has to be done is we have to do spring cleaning. I actually read that the term spring cleaning originated with the Jewish people cleaning leaven out of their home on the first month of their year. Mind you, the first month of their year hits us at April. It was springtime in Israel. Flowers were were blooming. It was springtime in Israel every year when the Passover was observed. And they would have spring cleaning because you've got to get all the leaven out of your home. Why? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 and 8 makes it abundantly clear if we miss it in the reading of the Old Testament that the leaven represented sin that would permeate a life and would permeate a family and would permeate a nation. And so God emphatically told them that you must do spring cleaning. You must clean all of the leaven out of your house. And the Seder would begin sometimes with a little ceremony in which they would take a little, a little dustpan, if you please, a little piece of paper or something, and they would sweep up on it a couple of crumbs of a cookie or of a piece of bread, symbolic of having done spring cleaning and gotten sin out of their lives. You wonder why when we observe the Lord's Supper, we say we need to have a time to examine ourselves before we take of that bread and take of that cup. And they would, they would put the few crumbs ceremonially and they would take it over and they would put it in a fire. They would burn the judgment, the fiery judgment of God on the sin of, that would be in their family, in their personal lives. The Seder would begin with the ceremonial making sure all leaven is out of their home. During a Passover Seder, the participants of the Seder would drink four cups of, they call, they call it in the Bible, it's called in the Bible, the fruit of the vine. And they would, in the evening, there would be four times that they would drink a cup of the fruit of the vine. The Seder, after the ceremony with the unleavened bread, the Seder would begin with the leader blessing and saying, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. The different cups of the fruit of the vine that they would drink are related back to Exodus chapter 6. It is the series of I will, when God said to Moses, 
I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. I will, I will, I will, I will. Actually, seven times you'll read in that passage, God promised Israel, I will do this in your lives. I will do this for you. And so spread through the Seder. There is, in modern day tradition, they, they have four times that they, they pronounce a blessing upon God. The first one is called the cup of sanctification because they just ceremonially examined themselves to put sin out of their lives. And then they honor God, the God who has given us the fruit of the vine. And they would drink a cup of the fruit of the vine. The cup of sanctification. Then they would take a little bit of parsley and they would dip it in salt water. And then they would eat the parsley that they had dipped in salt water. Having eaten the parsley that was dipped in salt water, they would begin to tell the story. The dad or whoever was leading the Seder would begin to step through the story that we read from Exodus 12. He would teach about the Exodus. He would teach about the Passover lamb. He would teach all of the things that were, that were involved in the Passover. This, would take, this was an all-evening uh, celebration. They went over every detail. And here the family would annually hear all the details of God's deliverance, of freedom acquired by God's power and strength through the shedding of blood. Now, interwoven in that telling of the story, children in the family, and sometimes I think different children, depending on the size of the family and the age of the children, sometimes the youngest child would, uh, would, would ask four questions. And each question they would ask would be a question that would, that would uh, give the opportunity for the leader uh, to be able to... Pastor Ryan, could you get me a microphone? I asked for it from the tech, but I don't think that message got through to the tech guys. I need a microphone, uh, if you don't mind, one of the microphones, and uh, we'll get that down here. And So children would ask a question, and, and then after asking... And the same questions, it was every Passover, it's the same questions. It was the way the Passover Seder developed, and they were all questions about Passover. And so, who's got question number one? Come on down here. Question number one, as soon as we get a microphone here. Thank you very much. Okay, are you ready? Now, we're at the Passover Seder. It's good to be with your family tonight. And uh, we're learning the Passover story. You have a question? Could you read it real loud? On all the other nights, we eat either leavened or unleavened bread. Why on this night do we only maza or unleavened bread? Good question. Thank you very much. You can go ahead and be seated. We always eat unleavened bread all the time, or, or leavened bread, or unleavened. It doesn't matter. Why, why do we not have some nice, fluffy dinner rolls? Why do we eat this matzah? And they would talk about sin. And they would talk about the importance of sin being solved in your life. The importance of, of getting sin out of your life. Of remedying the problem of sin. 
in your life. And we've got to deal with sin. You know, the Passover at its root is all about sin. And slavery to sin. And that's the root of all that comes out of Passover. Now, there was a second question. Who's got the second question, by the way? Okay. You got a question for Passover? Yes, sir. All right. Good and loud. Let's see what it is. On all the other nights, we eat vegetables and herbs of all kinds. Why on this night do we eat bitter herbs especially? Ah, thank you. I mean, broccoli's not bitter. Some of you may think it is. On other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. Um, Not so much carrots, but green beans are good. And so we eat all kinds of vegetables. Uh, But why on this night do we only have vegetables that are very, very bitter? And if that's not bad enough, we dip it in horseradish. Why are the vegetables bitter? They're bitter because for generations our family lived in slavery. Your dad and your granddad and your great-granddad. For generations we were slaves in Egypt. For generations our life was bitter. We, we, had to, we had to make those bricks and serve the Egyptian Pharaoh. And, and, and it was a horrible existence and it was hard. Our lives were bitter. And our experience in life was bitter. And on Passover night, we remember the bitterness of what we have lived for generations here in Egypt. They would talk about the bitterness of their forefathers' experience in Egypt. The bitterness of sin in your life. The slavery that sin brings to you and enslaves you and destroys you. Bitterness. Bitterness. At the end of sin, there's always bitterness. And then there was a third question. Do we have a child with a third question? Well, let's see what the third Passover question would be. And a child there around the table would ask the family this question. On all other nights, we do not dip herbs in water or anything else. Why on this night do we dip the parsley in salt water and the bitter herbs in cherisette? Have you ever taken a carrot on your fork and dipped it in something to eat at your dinner table? Oh, we don't do that any other meal of the year. Why do we dip our herbs, as bitter as they already are, why do we dip them in other things? Why do we dip our parsley in water, salt water, before we eat it? And they would be reminded of their tears, that their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, the tears that they shed generation after generation, bitter tears because of the result of slavery to Egypt, bitter tears that always come at the end of a life without God, bitter tears that always come at the end of sin, bitter tears. Live your life the way you want. Break God's law. Create your own morality. Do what you want, but you will weep bitter tears 
one day. We dip our parsley in salt water before we eat it to remind us of the bitter tears that have been shed. And we take our, we take our, our bitter herbs. Maybe, maybe this custom came because they, they didn't have access to herbs that were bitter enough in their natural state, so they, they started using something bitter like horseradish. And we would, we would dip our herbs in bitter horseradish. But then we would dip it in cherish it. Sweet apples, raisins, nuts, and cinnamon. Let me tell you why we do that. We do that to remind ourselves that the hope of freedom is what enables us to withstand the bitterness of slavery. The hope of freedom is so sweet. The hope of freedom is so precious that generation after generation as we wept bitter tears, salty tears, bitter tears because of slavery, we had the hope that one day God would send a deliverer. One day... God will send someone to make us free. And so we dip our bitter herbs in cherisette to remind us that there's hope that God may one day bring us life. There was a fourth question. Do we have someone with a fourth question? Here we go. Question number four. Fourth and final question. Let's see here. What is the fourth question at Passover? On all other nights, everyone sits up straight at the table. Why on this night do we recline at the table? Hmm, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? Have you ever reclined at a table? That table has to be really low if you lay down on your side and were able to eat off the table. Thank you. Yeah, you're sitting up straight. You wouldn't be sitting like this if you were to Passover Seder. The table would be low, maybe even just a mat on the floor. You would have a pillow there and you would lay down and maybe prop yourself up on one elbow and be reclined around the table. I don't know that they do that today in Jewish families, but that's what was always done. That was what was done in Jesus' day. I don't know if the Bible gives us an answer to that. To that. The Jewish tradition is that freedom... That in ancient history, free people reclined at leisure, lying there at leisure around their table, eating their meal. And while others were busy scurrying about serving them, they lied in leisure. And so they would teach their children that, we, that Passover brought us freedom. And in freedom and in liberty, we lie there at the table and enjoy our meal. At that point in the Passover Seder, they sing the Hillel, Psalm 113 to 118. I read them this last week, most of them, scanned all of them. Amazing psalms, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of praise, psalms saying to God, God, you have given us freedom. You have brought us liberty. And they're psalms of praise. Sometimes they would sing half of them at this time, half of them at the end. 
After the singing of the Hillel, there would be another blessing. They would fill their cups back up with the fruit of the vine again. And the leader would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And the participants would eat the second or drink the second cup of the fruit of the vine. It was called the cup of judgment. The cup of judgment. The judgment of God that was visualized through the Passover observance. They would then have another blessing. This was a blessing that had to do with the unleavened bread. The leader would say, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then each participant would pick up the unleavened bread, the matzah, and they would eat unleavened bread at that time. The, another blessing would be said. It was a blessing over the bitter herbs, and they would uh, dip in the, in the horseradish and in the cherisette, and they, would, and they would eat. This was the, this was the and, and they would drink, by the way, the third cup at this time. It was the, called the cup of redemption because God had promised in, in uh, Exodus 6 to redeem them. Elijah would then be honored. They would have a cup of the fruit of the vine poured for Elijah that no one would drink from. And it would come time to honor Elijah. And so they would, they would talk about Elijah because they believe that Elijah is going to come back at a Passover observance and introduce the Messiah. And so they would refer to Elijah. They had an empty chair sitting at the table. They had a place setting. They had a cup of the fruit of the vine. Elijah's place, if he shows up, a child would run to the door and open the door and invite Elijah to come in and join the family in hopes that this year at our home, Elijah will come in and bring with him the Messiah that we have longed for for all these generations who will establish his kingdom on earth. After acknowledging Elijah and inviting him in, they sang the other half of the Hillel songs. And then a fourth and final cup of the fruit of the vine would be, would be drunk. There would be a, a, another blessing. And the fourth cup was called the cup of praise or the cup of acceptance. Again, all going back to the I will promises back in Exodus 6 and acknowledging that God had accepted their family worship. God had accepted their retelling the story that, uh, that that has all been accepted by God and we're praising Him and honoring Him. And then, and then they would sing. And they would sing and sing and sing. And there would be the after-dinner time of family singing, singing the rest of the Halal hymn, uh, uh, psalms. And then someone would shout out, Next year in Jerusalem. Believing that before next Passover, Messiah will be here. And he'll establish his kingdom. And we will be having Passover with the Messiah in Jerusalem. This was what a Passover was all about. A Passover meal. When Jesus Christ told Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover meal, that's what they went and prepared. That's what they got ready for. And when Jesus and the other ten apostles joined them Thursday evening, they sat around a table in the upper room. 
They, they ate roasted lamb. Why was it roasted? Why could it not be boiled? It had to be roasted because, because fire represents the judgment of God throughout the Scripture. It had to be roasted in fire because Passover is all about sin and judgment and redemption through the blood of a Passover lamb. And the parents would teach their children what it means to have faith in Jehovah God. And there they would eat a meal together of lamb and and of of, uh, unleavened bread and, and vegetables that were bitter to the taste but sometimes sweetened to remind them of the hope that they had. They would drink of the fruit of the vine because the center of Passover is the blood applied to the door, right? The blood applied to the door. They were inside the house on the original Passover, enjoying eating a meal. The blood was outside on the door. And eventually, the fruit of the vine, as we'll learn next week with what Jesus did to the Passover, that fruit of the vine became the emblem and the picture and the reminder, the visual of the shed blood of the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, they would be reminded of the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me on Calvary. Jesus said, I have desired with an intense desire to eat this Passover with you one last time before they murder me tomorrow. To sing the songs together. To retell the story of Passover together. To celebrate and enjoy a meal together. And to remember that at the core of everything regarding God and man is the reality of our sin. The need for sin to be removed and remedied. The slavery that sin brings upon us. And the desire in the heart of humanity to be free from the slavery of sin. And the remedy is a slain lamb with the blood applied to your life. And year after year, dad and mom taught their kids how to get saved. To evangelize their family. To teach their children the ramifications of sin, to teach their children the remedy for sin, the blood of the Lamb applied to your life. And year after year after year, God wanted parents to evangelize their kids. Let me ask you, do you know if your kids are saved? Sometimes I notice the church database, I'll I'll realize... Here's a family that's been in the church. According to the church records, we have no record that their child ever got saved. That their child ever got baptized. They're teenagers. They're college age. So far as the church records are concerned, the family never evangelized their child. The family never brought the child and said, Pastor, my child's ready to get baptized. I want you to know that Jesus 
desired with an intense desire to observe Passover with his disciples because Passover is the mechanism of training generation after generation of children growing up in a Jewish home, their heritage of salvation through the blood of a Passover lamb. And I'm reminded of the value of teaching history. God, help us to teach history to our families. God, help us to teach heritage to our families. God, help us to see that the ones under our charge. Sunday school teacher, do you know if all your kids in your classes say, Bible study fellowship teacher, do you know if all the adults sitting there in front of you each week, do you know when they got saved? Do you know when they got baptized? Do you know that they have been brought into a relationship with God. Oh, how we all need to have a compassionate heart for the salvation and spiritual development of those under our watch care. And maybe even set up some traditions in our home. Or maybe every year on a certain date or a certain event or a certain situation, we take an evening and we talk about the blood of Christ. Salvation for the sin. We sing some songs together. And as a family, we make sure that our faith is being passed to our kids. Why is it that they say that 78% of kids raised in homes that profess to be born again, homes who take their kids to church every Sunday, and then as University students, they walk away from God. Is it maybe that we didn't have in place a regular attempt to pass our faith to our kids? Is it maybe that they watched us and they realized that it doesn't seem to be all that important to us in the way we live. The things that are important to us. And when they got ready to start their own lives as adults, they said it didn't mean that much to dad and mom. They didn't act Monday through Saturday the way they act on Sunday at church. The things they talk about and the decisions they made in our family, it must not be that important. And so they leave the faith. Passover was all about keeping your family in the faith. And Jesus Christ, in His last Passover, left us a picture of what He did to that Passover to make it real in our lives.